Hey Alexa, what's the definition of hustle? To be aggressive, especially in business or other financial dealings. You're listening to the H for Hustle podcast, designed to inspire future entrepreneurs to take the leap from working for someone else to pursue their passions and side hustles and turning them into full-fledged businesses. My name is Jerome Fenton. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with an entrepreneur that has taken that leap. We'll be talking about the lessons they've learned and how they've turned their passions and side hustles into full-fledged businesses. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. Another illustrious episode up ahead. And on today's episode, we have Lane Kawaoka from Simple Passive Cashflow. The reason I wanted to have Lane on the podcast was because Lane had a very different way of going about real estate investing. Um, he was an engineer and he worked as an engineer for years, saved up his money and bought one property, then bought another, then bought another, and then eventually grew to a point where now he has, you know, 100 to 300 properties under management. But it was a very practical way of doing it. And I wanted to bring him on because, you know, a lot of the audience um, wants to hear more about real estate, but I wanted to bring somebody on that was more practical and had a more pragmatic approach and built his way up to then eventually he could start growing much bigger. And Lane has a very different way of looking at real estate that I wanted to bring him on and talk about. And obviously it's not the most sexiest way. It's not the prettiest way. It's not even the fastest way. It's a very pragmatic approach. And I really, really respected his approach. So let's not waste too much time. Let's get into the episode right now. H for Hustle Podcast. Welcome back. We have another great guest today. Today we have Elaine Kawaoka from Simple Passive Cashflow. Lane, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jerome. Lane, so if I was to meet you at a bar or a, a dinner or just out in person, what would you say you do for a living? Um, currently, um, real estate syndicator, own over 6,000 rental properties. Um, but you know, it's mostly about the listeners today, right? Like, how can they get started at passive real estate? investing house flipping wholesaling stuff but just straight buy and hold got no tricks no games that's exactly what i wanted to have you on the show um so six thousand properties that's a lot of that's a lot of headaches how do you deal with all of that well we buy them in like groups of 100 300 these days and you know we use commercial property managers which are a lot more sophisticated than the residential property Mm. managers um but yeah i mean been there done that um the last time I bought a single family home was the 11th one. Got it. That, that's kind of a pain in the butt. But, you know, it's all part of the journey. You got to kind of step up one level at a time. Yeah. So uh, we're going to get to the how do you buy 100 properties all at one time. Well, let's start. Let's go back. Um, you know, again, I said I did a ton of research on you. You started off out of college as an engineer, right? That's correct. You know, I got I, I was kind of on this linear path. Parents taught me to be frugal with my money, be good with my money and study hard go to school eventually became an engineer started work as an engineer then and didn't really like it as who likes their first job right <laughs> nobody they always kind of stick you out there it's you're the effigy and i was traveling all the time for work so you know i, I was you know again following all this financial dogma of buy a house to live in invest in your 401k which i don't believe in and you know i got this house all to myself and I was only home on Saturday because you know you work on the road all the time. You only 
in a home very much. So I just decided to rent it out. This was back in 2009. Okay. And I was like, wow, making some cash still here. So you were renting it out for the weeks that you, for the days you weren't there, or you were just renting it out all the time? I just rented out period. And then I, you know, the weekends, what I would do is stay at a friend's house, um, go to Vegas or just stay in like wherever the com- the company had me in a hotel. I just stay. Got it. Um, and you just kept on, so you just kept on renting it out. Anything to just not go home. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, on company expenses the whole time. I mean, I was for a few years there, I was putting away over a hundred grand a year to investments. Wow. Okay. So then your first one was just meant to be your home, but you realized you weren't home. So you just decided to rent it out. Once you started making the money of that, you said, all right, it's time to go buy a second one. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought a duplex in Seattle and then I started to realize, you know, sophisticated investors, they buy more for cash flow. They don't buy it in places like California, Seattle, Hawaii, New York, Boston. Those are what we call primary markets. Yeah. Um, and really what we key in on is this thing called the rental value ratio. We're looking for something 1% or higher. So you find that ratio by taking the monthly rent divided by the purchase price it needs to be 1% or higher. So like, for example... You know, a lot of the, the newer guys will pick up a hundred thousand dollar houses that are rent for a thousand bucks a month. So thousand okay. five hundred grand. So like, you make a hundred dollars pretty much. Yeah, and, and that way, you know, you know you have that margin in there to pay all the expenses, you know, property management, so you don't have to deal with all those headaches. And then, you know, things are always gonna break and you're always gonna have vacancy and repairs. So, you know, that's what accounts for that. Got it. Truly cash flow podcast. So you get you get the duplex, and then after that, you say, "All right, there's money coming in," and you just decide to start buying more and more. Yeah, well, at that point, I started to realize, you know, sophisticated investors don't buy in these sexy markets, right? They go mm. to more of these cash flow markets, such as Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock. You know, the, the like the secondary the, markets. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and some even tertiary markets today, right? Where the market's at today. Um, so it, it requires you to become a remote investor because more than likely you're not going to live where these things are. And you may not even ever visit the property, right? Because you're buying commodities. Yeah. So, you know, this is, was, you know, it worked. The way I always do something is I always try it on a small scale and then shoot, the thing worked. So I sold off all the Seattle properties and then bought all these other properties in Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis. So in 2015, I had 11 of these rental properties. Um, were these all single families or were they like duplexes? All single families at okay. the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and duplexes, I mean, single families don't really bring in that much money, even in the secondary markets, do they? They they do. They do. I mean, they'll beat the 1% rent-to-value ratio if you find the right one these days. But like, I think the nice thing about single family homes is, you know, although like the duplex, triplex or quads look better on paper cash flow wise, your exit strategy sucks in those because, you know, the only person that wants to buy that stuff is some you know cheapskate investor. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you want to cash flow on a property and then sell it to some, you know, emotional buyer that Thanks. pays a crazy price. Got it. Hopefully so some family end. that gets emotionally connected by seeing it, something like that. Right, right. So, and by the way, if you become, if you're one of those families, stop doing that, right? Like, because that's a bad, <laughs> bad financial decision. I don't believe people should buy houses until their net worth is two or three times greater than the price of the property. Say the, say that again. I, I, that's that's really good piece of advice. I don't think people should buy a financial drag item until such as a house until their net worth is two or three times greater than that 
So if they're looking at a half a million dollar house, yeah, don't buy it until your net worth is a million and a half, you know, until you're off on that journey, man. Got it. It's a financial drag. So that's a really good piece of advice. Um, So let's go back to when you were working and balancing this, right? You have these 11 properties. How are you balancing this? Are you, did you put property managers in place? Are you dealing, feeling all the calls that come in from the property managers? How, How are you managing that? Yeah. I mean, so property managers in every remote location. So one, you know, I had three of them that kind of rolled up to me. And, you know, really, there's not much going on, you know, from a day-to-day thing. Yeah, but um, every quarter, there's something that usually happens. Yeah. Something breaks, a boiler, roof, whatever, something usually happens. Yeah, so, like, with a few properties, not too bad. But, like, I think I had 11 properties, and I, th- I think this is a good insight into, like, the, the frequency, right, of, of annoyances. So, with 11 properties, I maybe had an eviction or two a year. Mm-hmm. And then some kind of big issue, semi-catastrophe, like a tree falling on the house or like a, there was a hurricane that like kind of flooded a room or a bigger plumbing issue. You know, that stuff, that stuff will happen maybe once a quarter, at least on 11 properties. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have one property, divide that exception rate by 12. But, you know, this is where I started to realize and you know, people who are under a half a million dollar net worth, Go buy rental properties, right? Don't really pay attention to what I'm about to say right now. But I started to realize that accredited investor, high net worth investors, holding all these rental properties is kind of a pain in the ass because, you know, I had, I had with 11 rental properties, I had a few hundred dollars of cash flow per property. So 10 or so times 300. So $3,000 of passive cash flow a month. Okay, which is good for someone in the beginning stages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that was really cool when I first started. Right. But I don't know what American family can survive off three grand passive a month. Um, so, you know, most you know, most people that I work with, like the magic number is 10 grand passive per month. Yeah, usually. So you, you're going to need 30 of these houses. So you multiply the exception rate by three. So instead of an eviction once or twice a year, now you're talking about eviction every other month. Yeah. Pretty much one always freaking going on. Right. They, they last a lot a while. Depending Sometimes. on your state. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right. I mean, generally, we, we invest in red states, right? So we don't okay. have to you know, work with those kind of people. Okay. Um, but but it's some kind of big issue now every maybe few weeks, right? It's like, Jesus turns into a freaking job. And you know, a credit investor, what I started to realize is, and this is where I, the key for me is I started to join different mastermind groups, get around other high net worth investors. Got it. Start so you learn. were taking the money that you were making and just reinvesting it back in yourself, going to masterminds, conferences, stuff like that. Yeah, but but from 2009 to 2015, that six seven years, I I kind of was in my own shell. Like I didn't interact with anybody. I didn't really need to. I guess yeah. I just needed were, to get unbroke. Yeah, you were just doing what you had to do to get to that point. So did you ever reach the threshold of that ten thousand dollars that most people are looking to make? Yeah, yeah, eventually eventually, but it wasn't going to be done with single family homes, right? Unless I had more than 30 of those silly things. And you were just like, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, part of it is like, either you get around that next echelon of investors, your peer group, and then you see what the best practices they're doing. And I realized that all these guys were, they dumped all their single family homes, small, small direct ownership properties. They were, they were jumping into like 50, $100,000 positions in a bunch of syndications and private placements where there were stronger deals, the 
you know, as a passive investor, you don't have any, um, you know, legal liability because you're not a managing member and then you don't get any of the debt in your name. The general partners do that. Got it. So let's go back for a second. I know what a syndication is, but the audience might not know. Can you break down what a syndication is? Yeah. So it's, a, it's kind of a formal way of pulling investor capital together. Think of it as like a super small mini IPO in a way, mm-hmm. but more grassroots, more of a co-op kind of version. Um, people know these as like the country club, right? Bunch of dudes getting, pulling their money together, going into a business. Um, and then you can syndicate, you're syndicating money, but you can do any business, right? Like, I mean, we just happen to do real estate development yeah. or we buy existing apartments with existing cash flow. I mean, you can syndicate a website, you can syndicate a, a Amazon fulfillment business, you can syndicate a brewery. Yeah, it, It's just a more like, you know, and the, what we're doing essentially and, and, the key to investing is getting off the retail stuff, the the Saks Fifth of real estate of um, investing, right? Because that's where people get killed. The average investor is getting killed with fees and carried interest from all these big Wall Street companies. And that's my big floor with people. It's just like get off the beaten path, you know, invest a little bit more where you're you're cutting out all these middlemen and then you should be fine. Got it. So do you think someone just who's working a regular day job can just go and, you know, maybe they have a hundred grand saved, maybe 150, maybe some money in 401k cash out and then get a part, find a syndicate to get a part of, or should they go the traditional learn the game by buying that single family or that duplex and then learn to kind of build it up from there? Which one would yeah. you prefer? I mean, this is just my, my humble opinion, but I feel like if their net worth is at least half a million or they're a credit investor, they might be able to jump into syndications and private placements right away. Got it. It's kind of like LeBron James skipping college, right? That yeah. stuff is too too small for him. But most of the people that listen to podcasts are doing entrepreneurs and they're broke, right? If uh, usually a syndication, the minimums are like 50 grand. If somebody, if a syndicator is willing to take you know, 25, 50 grand from you and your net worth is lower, they got to be desperate and you probably don't want to invest with them because their deal sucks. Yeah. Right. And you'd have no idea. No. And the sad thing is anybody can do a syndication. Like there's really a low barrier to entry and it's really hard for, especially a new person to figure out what's who's legit to work with. Got it. So then with the syndication, you get, they go into more commercial properties, right? Like large apartment units, um, stuff like that. Right, right. And which I feel like are more stable assets because, you know, residential properties are based on comparable sales, mm-hmm. which is what some, what the person down the street, you know, sold their property on. Um, whereas commercial properties are kind of evaluated like businesses. You take, in our world, we take the net operating income divided by the cap rate. That is what the property is worth, period. Or like a business, you take the beta divided by whatever the multiplier for that type of asset. And then that's the price. That's the trading price. Got it. So do you think someone who's right now, you said it a couple of times, someone should get unbroke. What do you mean by that? Yeah. If, you're, if your net worth is under half a million dollars, you're broke, man. And sad, sad to say, but million dollars isn't much these days either. Right. Now, I don't know how to get unbroke. I mean, the way I did it is I had a good, I mean, I got paid six figures as an engineer. And I was really damn good at saving it money. Now that's that was my path. But if you're in credit card debt, you know, I mean, you don't make more than 50, 60 grand a year. I'm probably not the guy to go talk to. Um, you know, I'm the real estate investing guy. 
you need money to invest. If you don't have money, you got a money problem. And you know, I'm sure there's gazillions of other guys teaching that type of stuff. But you know, you or you got to make a business. You got to make your business successful. You know, that's you know, real estate's more of an end game strategy. Right? Once you make some money, you can parlay that to real estate as a very stable asset, it's a hard asset, and make returns and get all the tax benefits there. But you got to make your money first. That's interesting you say that because some people will say real estate is a good entry point into a business. That's interesting that you say that it's an end game. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I differentiate myself from most, you know, real estate. Most people think of real estate as like house flippers or wholesalers. That's what you do when you're broke and you don't have money. Mm-hmm. And you turn real estate into an active business. Right. But I always tell my clients, like, it's what your highest and best use is. If you're a doctor, dentist, lawyer, your highest and best use where you're going to trade time for money is going to be likely at your day job. But if you're like, a, you know, if you're some kind of post office worker delivering mail, right? I mean, you might you have tell, the time. You might have the time. And certainly maybe the, when you trade time for money, it might be better gambling on some wholesale projects or some flips, right? it's more riskier yeah but that can get you unbroke faster right that's the key step one get on broke step two (laughs) start investing in smaller properties to build some streams of cash flow and build some assets then steps three once you get up to being unbroke and you start to interact with more credit investors and you kind of step up to these larger types of deals Got it. Now, let's say someone has, they have the money, they're listening, they're like, yeah, I got some money saved, I can cash out my 401k, I can probably join a syndicate. How does a person choose the right syndicate for them or make the right decision on what syndicate to go with? Yeah, so for me, like when I'm kind of looking at deals to go in as a passive investor myself too, um, because, you know, I I run my own deals, but also invest my money passively, right? That's kind of the prudent thing for me to do with maybe a minority of my, my personal funds. You know, I'm looking at the deals and I'm kind of, I know how to underwrite deals. So there are things that I'm aware of to kind of look in the pitch deck as far as like, what is the reversion cap rate? What are they assuming that the market is going to be in the future, right? Because what I'm looking for is them to assume that the future market is going to be a little softer than it is today, as opposed to this rosy picture. Um, I'm looking at some of their deal assumptions. Like, are they looking that their building is going to be fully occupied or 5%, 10% vacant? Right. Those are the things I kind of want to see. I want to see that they're being conservative with their top line assumptions. Um, you know, there's not too many things that you need to really spot check. That's kind of the minimum effective dose is being a passive investor. A lot of this is outlined in my syndication LPE course found on my website. Um, and I talk about this a lot on my podcasts, um, these things to look out for. But, you know, I think you have to, the bigger thing, but the harder thing is building relationships with other pure passive investors actually invest in this stuff. Um, going in deep with those relationships and eventually building a relationship with, you know, who have you been working with, who hasn't been working with, and Got then it. kind of build yourself a little community. Got it. So let's go into that a little bit because you said you took some money. Um, we took some of your money and then started going into, I guess, conferences, masterminds. Um, and you just started getting around people and rubbing shoulders. You said that took about six years for you to get there. What was the thing that made you say, you know what, I have to start getting, get out my shell and get around other people? Well, I just got bored right after a while. <laughs> and then, you know, like you start to become very different from your friends and family. I mean, they're all in that 401k mentality. I mean, I know we have a lot of business entrepreneurs listening. I mean, it's very similar to like 
I'm sure your family and friends are like in that, you know, go to, go to a job every day, work a yeah. job, try and climb the corporate ladder. Um, and it can be very, I don't know, it can be very alienating if to yourself that you don't believe in all that nonsense. Like, why would I want to like be an engineer where I have to sit here for 20 years to get some white hair to actually become like a senior manager, right? Yeah, it's of a stupid. job that you don't even want to be at most of the time. Right. When in a few years I can buy a several properties and get paid more than my boss and my boss's boss. It's just silly. Yeah. Right? Got it. So you just at one point were just like, you know what? I'm out of, I'm kind of, my friends and peers don't really understand. And I need to get around people who kind of understand what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, it's lonely, right? And, <laughs> yeah, it is. And like, you know, like it's, 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 it's a fun hobby. It's like trading exotic cars. Like it becomes very like addictive. Yeah. And you just want people to talk to you. I mean, the stuff that we talk about, I have, I run a mastermind and, you know, we talk about infinite banking, all this, you know, what deals to go into. It's super fun. Right. And, you know, you're creating a legacy for your family and you know the different topics that come up, right. More soft topics, like how do you not spoil your kids? But yet, how do you also, you know, give them everything in the world? <laughs> right. Right. As you, you know, as you buy your Mercedes, your yeah. Raptor, your Bentley too. Right. Yeah. Cause they start living the life because of just being next to you. Right. So they, they know nothing else by default. You're going to kind of spoil them to a new life that they, or the life they just get accustomed to. Right. Right. But there's always a red pill in everything. Right? Yeah. There's always a way that smart people have figured out to get everything out of it yeah got it um that's super interesting so would you recommend someone who's just starting out to get inside of get go to conferences go join a mastermind to like really do that like kind of do that as a beginning step like do you wish you had done that first or what you the path you took was better i think the path that i took was better because a lot of that stuff can be a real money suck i mean it's the whole industry for that stuff i mean most masterminds suck most most conferences suck they're just a way to get, you know, extract money from you. And yeah. when you're starting out in such a capital intensive business, such as real estate investing, you know, the money should be going to actually buy properties. Got so it. I think looking back, it was probably the best thing. And, you know, I think there's a saying out there, you know, your network is your net worth, um, mm -hmm. which I believe. But you know, if your net worth is under half a million, I would say don't pay too much attention to that. Go get unbroke because if you're just interacting with, broke guys too under that threshold it doesn't do you any good yeah i would i would agree with you also if you go to enough conferences you realize that most people are just like this information junkie they just get they come there for the weekend they get they write they take all the notes they do everything but then they don't really take much action so then you get around a bunch of people who are just doing the same thing yeah yeah, yeah. you get into your social media pods where everybody's like pumping each other up and i mean it you know i think that's you know that not to discredit it like that's there's some value of that like having a, a kind of that fake peer group that is kind of motivating you because you see other people doing it but yeah I, mean, I like what you said though get unbroke first because like some like again it is a money suck you got to spend the weekend you got to go out there book the hotel the whole nine yards so after a while it just becomes you're just doing that without having any other action i really do think what you said is actually more valuable because if you go ahead and make the money then it makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. So like for most of my clients, you know, they, they have a net worth of a million dollars or greater, and they may be coming at this as more of an amateur and they want to be more of a passive investor because they realize their highest and best use is that their day job 
not buying buy and hold rentals, right? They want yeah. to jump into a syndication. So for these guys, unfortunately, like the the local real estate club and the online forums are the worst places to go because they're just a bunch of house flippers and broke guys. Yeah. Um, so you know, that was why I created my mastermind for pure passive accredited investors only, because there just wasn't that kind of um that cohort yeah. around. And right. and the same thing like business owners, right? Like where do you go to find legit business owners that just aren't like social media wizards uh, <laughs> it's, it, it gets it's very tough it gets very tough why i created a podcast because it gets tough to kind of get around because a lot of people just say what they're and show you in the office do my thing but they're really not doing anything right right i mean everybody i, I know your podcast is pretty popular and i think it's already probably in the top what like half a percent one percent but like most podcasts people never listen to Right. People like if you can go and like the Google, the reviews, you can kind of tell. Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 very easy. Like podcasts have become like a sort of a it's a, a new blog. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. At one point, everybody had a blog. No one was going to those blogs. But that's exactly what happens. Um, it just became the new way. It's a verbal way of writing a blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like writing a book, right? Yeah. Nobody reads your damn book. No. Right. But if you have it, that's a status item, you know, for your business. Um at the know. end of the day. I don't know. I'm a little wishy-washy on the book thing because yeah. everyone has it as a book. And then yeah. I I've realized that you could just go buy, you know, uh, uh uh what is it called uh be a ghostwriter like five ten grand go write not, a book not even there's people <laughs> who have uh what is they call it private label rights where you could just buy a book that's already been written so oh. have a cover on it and say <laughs> it's your book <laughs> once i've seen that i was like oh this book thing is a joke <laughs> yeah yeah but you know that's you and i right but most people still have it in their head it actually sort of means something um but there's all these tricks and games out there i mean the, really the only way I don't know, like me finding, like as an investor, you want to find other pure passive investors, get around them. And, you know, they, they, they don't have any skin in the game in terms of not getting paid off of referring you to somebody. You got to watch yeah. out for that too. But it's very similar to like as an entrepreneur, like you, who's somebody who's kind of like a wizard, like a SEO guy, right? Like you don't do SEO. You're kind of like, well, I, I heard I need this. Who the hell do I work with? Like, who's good? Like, yeah. I don't even know how to keep them accountable or what metrics, KPIs to keep them, you know, going. To, to, yeah. But what do you do? You well, you go off of referrals, right? People who are happy. Me, you don't know how good they are, good at evaluating it, but it's better than you doing you know, it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, you getting cold pitch via email. Hey, I do SEO. You know, those are like the worst people to work with. <laughs> They're somewhere in like Bangladesh with like a whole team of people exactly. you have no idea about. Yeah. Um, what was something that you wish you learned, um, wish you had known in the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey or your investing journey? I think, um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of things I just didn't understand about like building teams, hiring staff and like scaling because in the beginning, I did everything myself, like edit the podcast, post it, um, all the guerrilla, you know, when you start a business, there's all this guerrilla marketing, things that you're doing yourself. Um, I didn't realize or have the confidence that I could hire staff, have that monetary obligation to pay their salary every month and to kind of have faith that money would kind of trickle in based yeah. on that. I think if you start with that in mind, like start like, you know what, I don't really have it, but I'm going to push myself or I'm going to 
try to get an editor for the podcast or get whatever that you need for your business, at least get one person that you have to pay. It actually makes, to me, it makes you work harder to, to, to push yourself even more. Cause now you're not just obligated to you. You're obligated to someone else who's might not even really need the money you're giving them, but they they're looking forward to it. Right. Right. Or just the whole baby steps thing, right? Yeah. Like if you just keep always holding on to the task, then you're never going to move forward. But if you're take, if you consciously decide like, all right, well, this is not good. I'm not going to have three employees next week, but I'm going to like slowly give up one little task to another person or outsource it. I think that will eventually lead down that slippery slope of eventually getting to where you want to be. But, you know, it's, it's hard, right? Like you see a lot of people out there that have businesses don't make any money. Mm-hmm. I mean, my business is very unique. It goes to real estate and real estate's like a guarantee thing for the most part, right? There, you don't get more guaranteed in real estate, which is why it's probably the best in-game type of investment or business out there um, but most businesses don't make any money yeah like they're just flops most so, of the time and and that's who i kind of you know that's what i heard right a lot right like and i was comparing my business to any other regular business or regular business where you know there's a big failure rate the majority of businesses fail but and i didn't realize that i was in the business of real estate where yeah it, it just takes a lot longer but there's, there's more reliability and actually hitting profit. Got it. So, you know, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we wrap up. This is one of my favorite questions I like to ask everybody. There's somebody right now, they're sitting at their desk, listening to this podcast. They're dying a slow death behind that cubicle, right? They doing a job that they hate every single day. What advice would you give that person who's looking to make that transition? Yeah, real estate is kind of like college in a way. And the reason I say college is because like college, I don't think it's that great, but for the average person who has very, you know, not much luck and not much like skill set and they're just an average Joe, Mm -hmm. college kind of guarantees a somewhat level of life at the end of it. Yeah. Right. Where on the total opposite, you know, you just make a bit random business you're likely to fail. Even if you do have the skill set and you're not no average Joe, you're what real estate is more on the side of more of a sure thing. Real estate, anybody can kind of do. It's, Got it. it's, but so, the problem, problem is you need some money to start. And I think that's what part of it is like, it's a lower level of competition because there's a high level of barrier to entry. You need 20, it. 30 grand to go buy a house. If not, you can't play. Yeah. So it literally cuts out certain people who can't jump in the game right away anyway. Right. And think about the essence of the business. You buy a property, people need a place to live, especially in a population growing um, country, especially where where they need more lower middle-class housing. I mean, there's always going to be clients for you and it's a commodity you're buying. Yeah. So so like, I mean, I don't, it's a sure, pretty much a sure thing. So would you recommend them like, you know, someone who has, they just got out of college, they're, they're average at best, right? They're making maybe $50,000, $60,000 a year. Would you recommend even getting into wholesaling or, or getting into that side of it, the, the real estate business, and then eventually grow up to buying a property on their own? I don't know, man. I mean, I, I only speak to the people that are similar to me that make pretty decent salaries. Got it. You know, maybe 50, 60 grand or more a year. Um, if, if you make less than that, I don't know. I mean, don't ask me. <laughs> Got it. Right? I, I, I like the honesty. I mean, like, 
wholesaling, flipping houses. I don't really know much. I mean, I know a lot about it, but I've never done it. So I can't say, but that's, that stuff is just like another business. Got it. Most, most people fail at that stuff. Got it. So would you then recommend getting a single five, single property and then just start building to take the same steps that you took? That's what I would recommend. And, you know, when we, when we talk to investors that one of the first questions is like, what is your, your net at the end of the year? Right. What's your, and this, most of this has to do with your income minus how good are you at controlling your expenses? Mm. Right. So if you're somebody who spends more than you make, closing the credit card debt, you know, don't, don't talk to me, right. You got to go figure out your own stuff, right. Fix your own demons, get your own like money habits online. Right. Most of the people that work with me, they're the diligent savers. They're the max out their 401k kind of guys. Got it. Um, you know, get your stuff in order first. Right. But if, if you're able to save at least five grand a year, I mean, there's a spark there. Right. I mean, you know, you're, you're a positive accumulator of wealth. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, you're already doing more than half the population. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in life, there's sinkers and floaters, right? Yeah. You're either scared they're moving up, you're going down, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you're one of those people that are flo- somewhat floating, even there's like a glimpse of life. All right. Well, now that's somewhere we can get to because, all right, you're only able to save five grand a year. Well, cool. Five, six years. Now you bought yourself on your first property. And now you're putting an additional few thousand dollars into your wallet every month. And, and that raises your net worth a little bit as well. Yeah. And more importantly, it raises your cash flow. And instead of saying just $5,000 a year, maybe you're saving $8,000 now or $9,000 a year. And that helps you buy that next property. I mean, if you look at my how I started, I mean, 2009 bought the first one, 2011 bought the next one. I mean, it's like it's watching Brasco, yeah. right? Like, I mean, even though I was able to save a lot of money based on like, you know, not having a place to live and pay mortgage and rent and like eating off the company dime all the time. Like, but it's just, it's just like what I did was just magnifying and compressing time. Yeah. Like, and you use some, take you longer. You use someone else to actually help you with that. You know, so I, I had a friend did the same thing. He was, um, um, the pharmaceutical sales and they gave him a company car and he was always, he took like all the travels. So he never lived anywhere specifically had a company car ate on the company's dime so he was able to save just so much money um and eventually he was able to leverage that into the same similar thing that you did i mean the secret to wealth wealth building and financial independence is like there's that wedge you know what you make minus what you spend is what you save and the important thing yeah you save in the right things get away from the stupid stock market and 401k retirement stuff Get away from those garbage investments and put it into real assets that actually make you money and cash flow and you have the good tax benefits. And now you're growing your wealth. But you know, it's gonna be slow in the beginning, but that wedge grows. That now by having more assets, now you make more money and then you make might save the same. You gotta watch out, of course, for lifestyle creep, you know, nicer cars as you get more yeah. cash flow. But if you can complete like keep growing that wedge like most of my clients are able to save at least fifty thousand dollars a year after they've been doing this for a while that 50 turns into 120 150 thousand dollars a and year then boom, and then boom 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 it just grows yeah, exponentially quicker and then you find ways to again get assets real estate then you just grow 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 it's like so much faster yeah and then, then at that point it becomes more of a lifestyle design type of thing right yeah. but like it, there's all this moment the hardest part is the beginning Moment, yeah 
like I have a mentor that says the hardest thing, to, uh, momentum is the hardest thing to get and the easiest thing to lose. Right. So <laughs> you always got to try to make sure you, you start it and keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, it's the spaceship, right? Like the shuttle is like, I don't know if this is true, but I'm an engineer. So just trust me on this, but like <laughs> it takes like half the amount of fuel to get an inch off the ground. But once it does that, you know, the rest just takes it on orbit and does whatever. And then when you get to orbit, it's just puffs of air moving it around. Right, yeah. right. Just compress air at that point. So you just right. need to figure out a way to get out of orbit. <laughs> right. right. Get into, get out of space. Exactly. All right, cool. Exactly. Um, so this is my final question to you. I ask everyone. The show is called the H for Hustle podcast. What does hustle mean to you? Um. I feel like hustling has a little bit of a like alternative counterculture to it, right? You're getting away from conventional thinking. I mean, for me, it was very simply like when I bought my first rental, when you add up the wage, the four ways you're making money, tax benefits, mortgage, the tenants are paying down your mortgage instead of you, the cash flow, and then the appreciation. I mean, you're making like 20, 30% plus of your money every year. If people don't believe me, they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. I do a little whiteboard thing with math. But then, you know, this is early, very early on for me. I was like, well, why the hell would I want to put my money in this 401k nonsense, making it supposedly 8 to 10%, but it goes up and down like a freaking roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And then I had to discover what this whole sham was. Like, the, all the, everybody, the system is engineered to have everybody put your money into this like 401k nonsense. But in essence, like these brokerages, right, at the Wall Street companies, where they take all your money at hidden fees, carried interest, and take all, they get paid regardless, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you could do it on your own and make way, way more, more money, money. Yeah. and control it. Um, you know, this is the red pill of finance right here, right? You're getting off of the beaten path. I mean, every everything out there in fi- finances is engineered to get you to be working at your job for 40, 50 years. Yep. It's not the wealthy people paying taxes. I can assure you that. Go look at my website. Go look at my taxes. Simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. That's how the wealthy pay tax. They don't really pay tax. It's not the poor people. It's the suckers in the middle, the, the dying middle class that are paying their more than their fair share of the taxes. And like this whole system is engineered to keep those people powering the rest of society for it. Yeah. Like, it's very you're, frustrating you're literally gonna make some some people very upset by that because there's people right now living and dying by that 401k thinking that that's gonna be like their way out in 60 years yeah that thing is such a sham right like i mean i don't we can get into it but like the wealthy people don't use that type stuff no i i mean i i know because what once you start giving that money the hedge funds take it over and then they they invest with that money. And then there's a very small percentage that actually comes back to the people who are actually giving their money over month over month. Right. Right. But the, the all this, this dogma, right? Like, Oh, it's really complicated. Like investing is not that complicated. You guys aren't that dumb. Right. Don't make them like, <laughs> make it like it, but they make it complicated. It's like, Oh, just trust us. Right? Yeah. Just trust us. Yeah. Put your money in. We have all these, Ivy League grads that we pay a boatload. Trust us, you're better with us. Yeah. But you know, like buying rent, rental real estate, rents for a thousand bucks a month, that's not it's not rocket science. It's nothing you can't do. Yes, it's gonna take a little bit of diligence to hustle and get off the beaten path to learn it, but it's not something that anybody can't do over time. Yeah. And it will it will greatly accelerate your path to 
financial freedom. I mean, most people can get there in like less than a decade from what I've seen. Usually, that's usually what, 10 years is usually what it takes. Yeah. And how long did it take you to transition from working as an engineer to, you know what, me turning that corner? Well, I, I kind of went down a you know, different path. Like I went down thinking that I was never going to be an entrepreneur doing this. I was always thinking that this is going to be a side gig for me. So I initially I was, you know, I had a higher paid job and then I found easier jobs to work in that were mm-hmm. more cruise. And then, you know, that was, that would have been an awesome quality of life for the rest of my life. But then the real estate kept on growing and then, you know, we started to do these deals, put together syndications and bring other folks along with me where I started to realize that, you know, I was kind of working a side gig or working a job that was kind of my side gig at the time. <laughs> and it's just taking perhaps, too much time. Yeah, it was a little irresponsible, you know, to kind yeah. of go in there, work two hours and then <laughs> do my real estate for 12 after that. <laughs> so that was why I eventually quit. But the goal for most of my clients is to invest passively on the side work at your day job until you hit that escape velocity that you choose and then peace out quietly out of your, your day job. Got it. And that's one of the reasons why I want to have you in the show because your way is a little bit more practical and more people can actually pull that off versus again, going out starting a company, hitting it. I think most entrepreneurs have to go at it two, three times before they can actually find the company that they can do well at and excel and grow within, you know, so it takes, it takes that, I think it takes the failure because most people get the failure once and then they don't continue. And the failing is just learning. But again, real estate is a little bit more practical. I'm not saying you can't fail at that, but it is a little bit more practical. And the way that you took to escape is it's a much slower process than most people are anticipating. Right. Like this is not a get rich quick scheme. No, it's like get rich slow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're not going to triple your money in like two years. Right. That's like more like altcoin kind of get really I mean, they're called asymmetric risk type of deals, right? Yeah. Like the high risk, high reward stuff. Like the way I want to do it is I want to win every time and I'm okay winning by a little bit incrementally every yeah. time. Yeah. It's no, no, no need to do grand slams or home runs. Just get on base and stay on base and just keep hitting base hits all day long. Right, right. Yeah. That's how, I mean, it depends what you want, right? But if you want kind of that more reliability to take, although to take a while, but I mean, what's five to 10 years? Jeez. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. You're going to, you're going to go through it anyway. Uh, um, so uh, Lance, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to find out more about you, find out more information, uh, jump in one of your programs, where should they go? Um, they can check out my podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, which is Passive Real Estate Investing, um, or check out my website. A lot of free guides in there, simplepassivecashflow.com. Got it. Um, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah. Appreciate it. And just like that, another illustrious episode is in the can. Now, I know this episode is going to ruffle a lot of people's feathers because Lane has a very specific way of doing real estate. And one thing I want to make clear is that that's his way he said it in the episode is his way that's the way he knows it it doesn't mean it's the only way to do it but that's the way he did it um and i liked his approach to the way he did it and i know it's gonna rub some people the wrong way it's like if you don't have you know five hundred thousand dollars don't even bother getting involved
involved. Uh, and I know people are going to hear that and be like, what? But again, it's his way. It's not the only way, right? And I thought that was a really great point that he pointed out within the podcast. I would love to know what you guys thought of today's episode. Please leave the comments. Um, hit me up on social media. I would love to know what you guys thought. Um, and that's it, guys. I'm going to wrap it up right here with the same quote. I always wrap it up with the, from the late, great Nipsey Hussle. The quote goes, this game will test you. Never fold. Stay 10 toes down because it's not on you. It's in you. And what's in you, they can't take away. That's it, guys. Peace. Boom. Boom.